Welcome back to the Muzzle Blast Podcast, the official podcast of the National Muzzle Loading Rifle Association. This week, we're joined by NMLRA member Rick Weber. If you follow us on social media quite a bit, we share a lot of Rick's photographs. Rick has a beautiful collection of original black powder firearms, and he takes some great pictures of them, which really makes my job a lot easier. So it's always nice to have... Rick is a big numbers guy when it comes to black powder. He's done a lot of work to figure out the ballistics... He figures out the loads for each of his of his black powder guns, and he shares a little bit of insight into that as it relates to, especially right now because it's the season, he relates that a lot to turkey hunting and, and shares some of his stories of turkey hunting with black powder. As of recording, Indiana is still locked down due to COVID-19, so things are a little slow here for us. We've had to postpone or cancel our events here in April. Um, as always, you can check out nmlra.org slash COVID-19 for up-to-date news. If you're listening to this later in 2020 or 2021, hopefully we're out of this and uh, we don't need to worry about it. Yeah, so so my name is Rick Weber and I am from Tennessee and uh, I actually came to the Friendship for the first time, I think it was in the fall of 90, or 1990 or 1991. And uh, I just fell in love with Friendship and everything about it and and what really got me interested was was not only the the historical part but but the number of people that were shooting older older vintage firearms and, uh, and i came home and and basically decided that i wanted to own one and so i really sold most of my modern stuff my remington 870 my ithaca model 37 my Remington 780 L 30 odd six I got when I was young. And, <laughs> and at this time I was probably uh, 25, 26. And so I didn't have a lot, but I sold what I could. And, and, and so I could buy an, an old original, you know, and basically own an original gun. And, yeah. um, and, that, and that's kind of been a, you know, ever since then been a lifelong journey of, uh, of learning and, 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 in history and, and, and just, you know, I, I, I guess learning is a good word because you, you're constantly learning, constantly finding out something new that they did in the, you know, early, mid, late 1800s with muzzleloading, which is kind of a period that I've kind of always been around, uh, probably more percussion than Flint, mm -hmm. but, uh, but still, I just enjoy, you know, kind of, you know, buying actually the older I get, and, and now I'm in my fifties, I found the last few years and I, I kind of like to find the ones that need some TLC and, and bringing them back to life. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, there are different ways to do it, you know, and just basically repairing the gun or, you know, the rib under ribs off. So you resolder it on and you go through the whole process of, you know, disassembling the gun if it's bad enough and, and, and basically restore it from the color case hardening to the rust browning solutions. You know, it, goes, it can go on and on. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but that, that's a very rewarding to me to kind of, you know, and I like make, make my own bullet mold, so hopefully I like bullets more than round balls, but, I mean, if I can, for rifles, and and, and, and so to, to, to bring back a gun, restore it, make a bullet mold, fits, go out and shoot it, harvest an animal or something like that, and, reap the rewards of that and, and, and having dinner, you know, with something you shot to me, is kind of, you know, self, a lot of self-satisfaction. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you yeah. remember what the, what the gun you bought was after you sold a lot of your modern guns in the nineties there? The first one I bought had no name. Oh really? And it was, yeah. And it was a, it was a hammer gun 
but it was a it was a black powder cartridge gun. I paid ninety dollars for it, and, it, <laughs> and the ha- and the and the hammers were broken, huh. and and the the rat the, the the spurs on each hammer was broken, and 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 I still had pictures of when I restored it and recut the checkering and 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 redid the stock and. And, and I actually made hammers from scratch uh, with a bandsaw and a file and made a set of matched hammers and uh, and actually had uh, a guy from Friendship, uh, Bill Roberts, actually helped me uh, along the way journey. And actually, I, I wanted to case color the hammers myself. Uh, and so we did. And, and, and I remembered we put a sample piece in there and, and, and I, where I used to work, we, we cut it in half and did a, you could see on a, uh, optical comparator, kind of a microscope, you could see the transition from the case hardening, how, di- how deep the case hardening was. Oh, wow. And, and from what I remembered, it was like six thousands deep. <laughs> and, and, and and so 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 that was really my first original gun, even though it was probably late 1800s, you know, it was still a first gun. And then, yeah. and then from then after that, my first real depth gun was my was uh, an Alexander Henry uh, uh, sporting target rifle percussion gun and uh and so you know it's just a you know piece of art you know but i but i shot the thing for years and and the only thing that kept me from shooting it were two things one is the twist wasn't bad enough to shoot a thousand yards that i couldn't ever get on you know do very well at my matches at a thousand yards and then the other thing was it had an elevating cheek piece uh hmm. in the stock and the steep and the cheek piece was leather and i was always afraid over time that my face would just chew, keep chewing that leather up. So right. I kind of semi-retired that gun, but, you know, still kind of, it's still an awesome gun to take pictures of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I don't know. That's kind of a nutshell, kind of what brought me to friendship. And then I started there and started shooting in the following year, maybe 92, when Tom Schiffer, I think, was just ending his presidency. And yeah. I remember I remember him coming up and talking to uh, the sh- Bill Roberts and some of the other guys, older guys, and you know me here. I am just young, just listening. And, and he wanted to start the the long range silhouette matches because they had just started those with the NRA with the black powder cartridge stuff in the in the mid to late eighties. And so this would be the early nineties. And so next thing you know, we've got the following year we're up there with the you know probably got a, got by that time I guess I bought a Parker Hill Volunteer. It's all I could. I guess I had <laughs> actually I had actually I had the park. That's right. I had the Parker Hill Volunteer. Before I got my Alexander Henry, because I bought my Alexander Henry, I think in '94, so I thought I would have bought the Parker Hale in like '92 uh, to shoot it, to shoot up there at Friendship and those and that uh, long and the silhouette matches, which okay. the 200, 300, 400, 500 silhouettes. Yeah, and at that time they were on chains and we had no covered firing line and we just <laughs> sat out there and shot. You know, get sunburned. But, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. so it's a it's a little off topic, but in a way, I think it's kind of on topic, too. But uh, you mentioned there just briefly that you you were shooting muzzleloaders out to a thousand yards. Could you talk to us about that just a little bit? Because a lot of people think yeah. of a, a muzzleloader and even, you know, an original muzzleloader. I mean, the accuracy, a lot of people think is sub 200 yards, sub 100 yards. Yeah, but it's kind. Of, I just kind of fell into it with the group out of friendship with Tom Schiffer and Bill Roberts, and uh-huh. especially those two. And 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 I guess Tom Schiffer knew that you know from historically that the you know Whitworth from you know did his experiments in England in early 1850s and finished them up like 1854. 
and, and basically was that took the same, you know, 530 grain bullet that was in the infield and the 70 grains of powder, two and a quarter grams and, 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 and basically made the, the one in the fast twist. And he was shooting, they were shooting thousand yards in the 1850s, 1860s with the, with these small bore, new small bore rifles, they called them back then. And, <laughs> uh, so, so Tom knew that Bill had some, and, and, and wanted to play that game. And so this kind of, you know, that British target rifle game uh, prior to the Creedmoor uh, of 1874. So the British were very big into that, uh, even a volunteer movement, they called it over in the Britain in the 1860s, getting the civilian population to shoot. And, uh, and so Tom knew that. And so he asked Bill if we wanted to start the NRA. Well, thousand yards you know friendship our range already goes to 500 yeah so after after we shot there with and, and we kind of saw some interest from people that that had the volunteer rifles or had original whitworth and we started seeing more and more whitworths come out of the closet from guys from friendship uh that had them or maybe potential new shooters and and so after about five years um you know, we said we need to stretch these out to a thousand yards because that was really what they shot a hundred some years ago. And so my home range or where I live in, in East Tennessee, the range I belong to at Oak Ridge. And so I went to them, the board and told them what I wanted to do, do a kind of a historical match with muzzleloaders. And, but once I kind of, once they knew kind of trajectory, like the same as, you know, the later on 4570 came out, you know, in the 1860s. And so, you know, once they knew it was kind of that kind of black powder game, they never had a problem with it. And so since, you know, 1998, I guess I've held a muzzleloading match where we're shooting out to a thousand yards every year. And, and just the last couple of years, you know, that's transitioned into the, the Creedmoor 150, which is going to be in 2024 to kind of introduce some cartridge guns to shoot along with the muzzle loaders, And that's been fun. You know, it's the same kind of group of people that everybody, you know, gets along well and likes and, and, and some people will come and, and, you know, that have a lot of expectations and maybe disappointed, but it's such a learning. If they want to learn, there's no better experience than learning than going to do it. You can be on the internet all day long if you want to months for years, but until you <laughs> get down there and do it, it's a, it's a different world, but it, it's, a, it's fun. It's yeah. fun. So that's, yeah. So shooting a thousand yards, really nothing new <laughs> <laughs> with, with a muzzleloader. Yeah. But they're shooting, but they're shooting bullets. They're shooting conicals, you know, they're shooting 500 grain conicals, 45 caliber, you know, 70 grain, 80 grains of powder, 90 grains of powder, somewhere in there, the muzzleloader, and, you know, and, and you're just basically the bullets got a vernier sight in the back and, you know, bullets coming out of there at about a four degree angle and then it reaches a height of trajectory of about 50 feet at about 650 yards. And then it's coming back down. But it, I can tell you, if you're in the pits at a thousand yards and a bullet's coming through the target and it, and the pit, the frame holders are two by fours. Mm-hmm. If a, if a wind is blowing and a bullet hits a two by four, it'll go through the three and a half inches of two by four and hit the bank 50 yards behind it. Like the two by four wasn't even there. Wow. It, 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 it's just tremendous energy. The bullet, uh, I'm a heavy bullet guy, obviously, but you know, <laughs> bullets kind of just re, they retain that mass or that energy down range. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And yeah, you got to deal with a little bit of a trajectory uh, no matter what, but the, you know, but, yeah, yeah. Other than that, I would not want to be hit by one. <laughs> so that's kind of yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how we went from friendship shooting five hundred yards to a thousand, and in the early in the late nineties, and mm-hmm. and uh, and then continue today. And then there's other aspects of that have done the same thing. You know, the international group shooting. You know, every other year they they've come right after I started Oak Ridge. They did the same thing with the with shooting long range, and so that's out there. And you've seen other 
and obviously the black powder cartridge. You know, one thing about it is when you think muzzleloading thousand yards, there wasn't much of that done in America. Most most American stuff was round ball, probably because the British were decades ahead of us in their economy, right? You know, than, than what we were, and so they were more advanced. I think, as, and we caught up after the Civil War, but but I think they were. You know, so so most of our early Americana stuff is is round ball stuff, and and then some you know bullet guns were being made in the late 1800s, and then but nothing like the British. And then after the first international match, Creedmoor of 1874, when up in New York, when the Americans invited the British muzzleloaders over, you know, and the Americans won. You know that you know you could almost say that's the date that ended muzzleloading. <laughs> that's yeah, kind of it's once. The, yeah. the shot heard around the world there kind of pushed well, yeah, us. because they had there were 10,000 or 10,000 people they shipped into New York to come to watch this event. And, and the British were already shooting at Wimbledon, which is where they shoot play tennis. Now, you know, mm-hmm. they were, there was a range there and then Dolly Mount and some of the other ranges they would shoot at, you know, annually and had matches going on for years. And then, like I said, the Americans kind of did their own thing. And when the cartridge came out and, and sharps, obviously the sharps and rolling block were the two yeah. big ones at that time and invited the, the, the British breech loaders or muzzleloaders over with their, all of them had uh, Rigby rifling or Rigby match rifles and uh, John Rigby. And so, and the Americans won. And I, I kind of use that date as the end of really modern muzzleloading or historical muzzleloading as we know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you post a lot of photos and I really appreciate it because it, it makes my job a little easier but you post a lot I of know. photos to the social media <laughs> of some of your nice guns I and tried to. one of the sets was a few weeks back and you were out bird hunting with some black powder rifle or yeah. I, yeah. some black powder there and could you tell us about yeah. that a little bit well a uh, friend of mine lives here in Tennessee Harold Wade who's a member of Friendship you know many many years we've shot together and, and uh, yeah, unfortunately when you start, you know, you know, finding some nice antique British guns and some of them, not all of them are rifles and some of them are really nice muzzle and shotguns and mm-hmm. double barrel shotguns and, and whether you need to restore them or not. But, but I kind of like that part of it, but if, but not all of them have been restored, but what happened with Harold and I was, is we said, you know, it's crazy. We got these nice guns and they're just sitting in the closet because one thing about friendship, you know, I have always saying is, is that, you know, there's still some, even today, you know, there's still a lot of original guns up there being shot. And, and I've seen more and more probably in recent years in the sporting clays arena up there at friendship, those guys will shoot original double flints or original percussion guns. And I'll take mine. Harold takes his, but we decided, Hey, we like to hunt where, you know, so we, we go to a, a preserve every year with our original muzzleloader from the mid 18, you know, hundreds. And, uh, and I, I got a few, and Harold got a few. We usually just say, "Hey, what are you going to take this year?" And we go spend a, a day, or an after, actually, we spend an afternoon usually, mm-hmm. and, and and just basically, it's a, you know, there is no wild quail anymore. So basically, we're you know paying a guy, and he puts out the birds, and we'll spend three or four hours with his hunting dogs, and and they'll go on point, and then we'll flush the birds and shoot the birds, and 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 you know enjoy an afternoon with some really nice guns. Yeah. <laughs> How's yeah. that compare yeah. to to modern bird hunting? You know, with a modern shotgun. You know, I haven't shot a modern gun. I don't know how long. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but I was thinking of that earlier. I mean, my first turkey I shot when I was sixteen was with a modern gun, uh-huh. and, and then I went to kind of went. You know, it was not there were, were not easy pickings then. Many birds to shoot from. I, I guess I got lucky, but you know, after that I went to college and then didn't really pick up 
hunting again until after I got out of college. But but from a from but I killed a lot, you know, <laughs> with black powder guns, muzzle loaders, breech loader doesn't matter. You, you, the, the black powder, you know, it's just a propellant. You know, it's putting the shot out there to certain you know, feet per seconds, and you still got the same number eight, number seven and a half shot you might, and or number six, you know, just like in a modern gun. So that part of it hadn't changed. It's just how we load the guns, and you know, that sequence is the only thing different. Yeah. But it'll it'll kill them deader, and you know, dead is dead. Yeah. So, yeah. But the, I, the 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 guy that we hunt with just loves it when we come because he tells his, and we talked about this when we were with him last time. You know, we'll pay for 20 some, twenty birds or 25 birds, and, and we almost always get our limit or more because sometimes because we like the afternoon hunts in the mm-hmm. wintertime because our hands will get cold in the morning. We've tried that, and if it's in the, you know, in freezing the temperatures or 20s, to shoot a muzzleloader, and as much as we, you know, we're not, you know, back in the day, they may, they may walk around for hours before they took a shot. Well, you yeah. know, we're taking shot every 15 minutes or something. So, so our hands got cold, so we usually do an afternoon hunt. And uh, it, it's warmer temperatures, and and but the guy that we go on just loves it when we come because we are, we we we're so successful, and we got talking about that last time, and we think it's really because of the range in which we are shooting the birds with our cylinder bore guns. Mm. Yeah, and 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 Harold and I are neither one of us are would say we're good shotgun shooters you know we're just like any other average guy yeah but you know but you load the gun with you know you we you know we do like friendship we use individual containers we don't load powder out of a flask you know when we're hunting and yeah. and, the, and the biggest concern is is safety about yeah. making sure making sure that you're if you only shoot one barrel be sure to put the left barrel down on half cock instead of leaving it on full cock because yeah. we have but we have both had that happen and then realized that when we were loading, because you're, you're thinking about loading and, and, and going, you know, and trying to reload while we're out there a field. So, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I recommend that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what I hear. Anybody. I think when it, when it comes to hunting, a lot of people, you know, they, they get into inlines, so they don't necessarily, um, which is great, you know. If you're if you're using a muzzleloader, that's all I care about. <laughs> but they're not. They it's taking the step back and kind of the traditional side of things can be seen as a hurdle. And I've I've talked to a few people that have done a lot of a lot of bird hunting with their muzzleloading shotguns, and they they don't feel handicapped at all with it. No, I, I don't see how unless unless you were just knew that the, you know the animal was going to be thirty yards farther than what they are, you know, with you. But if you're flushing an animal, mm-hmm. you know, he's right at your even practically right at your feet. Yeah. You know, when the when the thing flushes. So yeah, I don't I don't see handicap with a muzzle. I went pheasant hunting with a good friend of mine, Art Fleener and Brent Danielson out in Iowa a couple of years ago invited me out there to go pheasant hunting. I bet we walked ten miles a day. Oof. And we we did not even in a lot of CRP lands and we didn't we they had dogs and we didn't None of us limited our limit of birds and you know of three in any of the day three days we hunted. Wow! But but I but I I again took an original single barrel muzzleloader and uh, and 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 that's what I wanted to hunt with mm-hmm. and that's what I killed my birds with. But 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 they would swap. They had modern gun one day or something or something. Then a breech loading double barrel a Damascus black powder cartridge gun the next day. Mm-hmm. But we all shot birds. I mean, but we didn't we couldn't like you say we couldn't tell any difference. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah. So you mentioned when we, as we were planning uh, to do this this call here, you mentioned that you're not getting as much turkey hunting done right now that you'd like to with COVID nineteen, but I still wanted to have you on to talk about that some. 
that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I'm, I'm still working. My my employment is one of the required. You know, we are uh, the pharmacy. You know, we still got to send drugs to uh, you know the people who in need for the medical field. So we haven't stopped. But uh, so typically, that's like that's no different than any other year for me. I mean, okay. I enjoy I enjoy just hunting, and I enjoy the older I get, I enjoy hunting with original arms, you know, so to speak. And so I've, you know, I don't know, probably the last decade or more, I've probably just stuck with just muzzle odors. And, uh, and so I, I, I wish I could go more, but typically it just seems like it's only going to be Saturday mornings yeah. <laughs> since I'm working. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't really want to burn my vacation days and, and I'd rather save them for, well, the national shoots up at friendship. But, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just like when we go quail, you know, quail hunt, you know, it's the same, it's, I usually use a different gun. Uh, I have a kind of a larger bore single barrel gun that I took out to Iowa and, and that I like to turkey hunt with and, and uh, it's just to me just a nice you know a nice piece and it's kind of easy to tote around and it throws a lot of lead out there and uh but you know turkeys aren't going to be you know necessarily that far away yeah when you shoot them anyway they're not going to be terrible you know distance yeah but so what kind of advice would you have for people wanting to set out with their with their smooth bores or their shotguns and, and try to bag a turkey this year with their muzzleloader I don't know why people don't, right? If you owned a muzzleloader, a smoothbore, or, a, or a, a, why would you not give that a chance? I don't know if uh, maybe it's them versus me. Is you know, if I go out and I see like last weekend, I saw some turkeys that I just never could get on them. They were with hens, and I never could call them away from the hens and get close enough. And so, so be it. But maybe you know the younger hunter, maybe maybe it's social media, maybe you know is so worried about making sure they you know can shoot their turkey and they think they're limited by you know limited by the gun but honestly i don't see how because most turkeys are not you know 70 yards away when you shoot them you know they're going to be 20 30 yards and, and there's any shotgun even a an old muzzle loader with a cylinder bore you know with number four with number four shot in it is going to kill a turkey at 30 and 40 yards and especially if you especially if you take a little bit of time and, and put some three foot square pieces of paper at 30 yards you can literally play with your load which is what i've done to, to make sure that my gun basically my load's regulated so when i point and shoot it covers up that whole three foot square with nothing but pellets okay and, uh, yeah and I, I actually took my my favorite gun at single barrel my four bore and uh, and it's a thomas turner original and, and it weighs just over eight pounds it's not a 20 pound gun so it never it's a live bird gun there's no ramrod provision on it hmm. And it never, never was. And so, but I started out shooting, you know, three drams and then I do a square load, you know, a, take a dipper, shot dipper, you do a, you know, say equal amounts of powder, equal amounts of shot. So I kept working my way up with different sheets of paper until, uh, until five grams. And I could see it coming up when I hit three and a half and like four and four and a half grams, I could see it were rising on the tart. You know, I just changed paper every time. Right. But I could see my, I could see the tar the group of my shot coming up. And when I got to five drams and, and, and basically it's an ounce and seven eighths or two ounces a shot, you know, it covered up the entire piece of paper. And I, and I just stopped. I'm thinking there's no reason to put any more in it than this. It doesn't do anything. I'm still going to, you know, kill it, you know, anything that's in the, sh you know, in that shot zone at that distance. And yeah. so, yeah. And so, you know, so yeah, it just, yeah, no doubt that a, a antique gun takes a little bit more tinkering with kind of yeah. those type of things. <laughs> yeah. 
but but I I don't it's not it's but it's part of the fun you yeah know, it's part of the fun to being out there and and uh, you know like I said I just, those people that have fortunate enough to own those guns I don't know why they're scared put it that way why right. would they be scared to take it out you know well I think out. it's maybe feeling that you haven't put in that time yet. You know, they know that they need to put in that time and maybe don't necessarily want to go out and, and risk it having not putting out that time. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to wound the bird. Yeah. Everybody, that's right. Everybody's, uh, everybody's close on time. You know, everybody's critical. Their time's critical. And, 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 you know, obviously if you have a double barrel, you know, if you don't kill him the first shot, you can kill him the second shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got a little extra going for you there. <laughs> you got a little bit there, but, but probably the other thing would be is, you know, and obviously a modern smokeless, or, you know, gun or whatever, you know, there's no afterward cleaning involved or anything like that. You right. Know? So, but to me, you know, that's a five minute cleaning cleanup, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. And, it gives and, you like, that... and like, and like, yeah, and like you and I, those of us who have done it know it's not a big deal to, to clean up a muzzleloader. No. It's providing you have the, the right equipment, you know, the right uh, cleaning jag, you know, the right size patches, everything fits good, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. You know, it's, I, it's, I have learned that with mold, with muzzleloaders that it seems like I have a, every muzzleloader has its own range rod, its own, you know, I had to make, because I have a lady in the middle, you know, I can make my own, you know, cleaning jags, mm-hmm. you know, so each one of them is almost, custom to the gun right yeah so but once you get those and you kind of get your kit around then you're really good to go oh yeah 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 you just need powder and shot and wads <laughs> you know yeah just like that and that's you know obviously that's been a, there's plenty of people supplying those oh yeah you know that you can get so that's not a yeah that's not crazy but yeah it, it's fun i mean I don't, I don't dress up, you know, I don't do the, I don't dress up primitive looking, right? you know, so, so I'm in, you know, camo gear, just like anybody else. But I typically, you know, like the bird hunt kind of on the move and, 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 and I'll carry a decoy with me, but a lot of times I won't even use it and, uh, mm-hmm. and try to get the hen mad. But, uh, <laughs> Jason Day at Friendship taught me that and he and Bob Wetzer, but, uh, yeah, that's, but I, but, but it's, I don't, you know, I don't shoot out of a blind or anything else. I just okay. kind of try to just stay quiet and stay still and and it went and once you see them you know obviously they they're gonna know you're in that vicinity so i, I figure the smartest thing i can do is just be patient and be quiet you know yeah <laughs> they know i'm there you know you know whether i have a decoy out or not they know there's something over in that area they're gonna come over and check things out hopefully yeah and that's yeah but, do you do much calling or, or talking to them to bring them in yeah yeah i try to but i'm not i'm not i can't say that i'm great at it i don't <laughs> think i ever will be i don't practice enough but i can you know i can i can cluck and i can yelp and i can kind of you know let them know i'm in the area of vicinity and sometimes i'll get aggressive or something if I don't see them or especially the, the, the hen, you know, and try to get her mad or something like that. And she, you know, that happened to me last year and got her mad and she came marching down the hill right to me and, 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 and right behind her were two giant gobblers that were fighting each other to be in, you know, who was going to be in front 30 yards behind her. And she came walking by me cause she didn't see me cause I guess I was hidden enough hmm. and they were, they were point blank. You know, I had to, I had to literally wait till one separated from the other side and kill both of them with one shot. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I mean, that's just luck. That's just turkey. That's just hunting in general. Sometimes yeah. you're going to get easy stuff and sometimes it's not, you know, you don't kill one every time you go and that's okay. You know, but if you can see them, it makes you, keeps you that, uh, what do you call it? That adrenaline, you know, that, that drive to want to go back and, you know, know they're in the area and, and maybe have the opportunity to harvest one at another date. Yeah. But, yeah, 
like going fishing. I <laughs> yeah. fish if, I, if I don't catch anything, I don't like fishing. <laughs> <laughs> see, I'm the but other way I around. See, <laughs> yeah, well, if I see, see I said, if I see birds or see animals or see wildlife, I mean, to me, that's a lot of it's just that. Yeah, just enjoy enjoy the outdoors and enjoy, you know, what Mother Nature and God's provided, and 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 that's what's out there, and and enjoy it. I've never I've never had to. You know, a lot of people these days, I don't like, you know, a lot of people have, uh, what do you call it, uh, you know, like leases and stuff like that. And and luckily, you know, I, Harold and I do the thing with the, the, the uh, quail hunt because there isn't any quail. Yeah. But all my other all my other hunting has always been just by, you know, whether it's church members or whatever, just word of mouth and just asking people. Hmm. People I've worked, worked with in the past and, you know, I probably I have more property I can hunt than what I have time for. Which makes it probably good because then when I asked them, they knew I hadn't been there last year, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you can come out. No, you know, no one, no one, no one's out there. You know, you're yeah. welcome to come out hunt." And I, I think that actually probably might that might help me more than not. Yeah, yeah. Because you talk to an older guy, it's in his sixties or seventies, and you're like, "Hey, well, you know, do you ever let anybody hunt with a, an old muzzleloader?" And he's like, "An old muzzleloader." <laughs> I said, "Well, like one that was made in the eighteen fifties," and they're like, "Son." If you can shoot something with that, you're more than welcome to come. Yeah, you know? they know you're not yeah. going to tear and anything up. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not going to be the guy that's got the, you know, the the what do you call it, the ten round magazine and his shotgun that wants to come. Yeah, you up or something, you know, that thinks he needs it. Not, you know, there's people that I'm sure are, but yeah. you know, but I, but I actually I think the the older generation appreciates people who appreciate the older stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's easy. We've got a a friend. We've got some woods here that my family does that we let one guy hunt on just because he he takes in an old muzzleloader, yeah. you know, and yeah. and that's that's fine yeah. by us. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I think you're right. I wonder how we how can we how can we spread that word? <laughs> hmm. How can the NMLRA spread that word? Hmm. So you wouldn't be so you'd be surprised what 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 permission you can get to hunt. If you tell them you're shooting, you know, like somebody did in the 1840s, yeah, or even before then, or eight, or, you know, it, it just say 1800s. Because I th- you I, leave it at that. I think at that point you've kind of piqued their interest. You know, they yes. want to, they're willing to give you a shot just to get the entertainment out of knowing if you did or didn't. You know, yeah, they get yeah. to they get to catch up with you if you did or you didn't, and they can yeah. kind of talk about it and get to see it some. And that's not yeah, something guy, you see every day. Yeah, the guy that we go quail hunting with, you know, he. He says he uses that all year long to the guys that come in there and, and quail hunt with, you know, $5,000 parotsies or something like that, you know. Wow. You know, th- th- he says, you know, I, and of course he doesn't know that, you know, probably some of these muzzleloaders, you know, are not, they're not $200 guns either. No, you know? no, not at yes, all. And, but they're not $5,000 guns either. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but he says, but they are 18, you know, 1800s technology. And, and uh, so he uses that all the time with it. He said, you know, I've got the two muzzleloader guys that come here every year and limit out all the time. And he said, and, and they're shooting muzzleloaders. And, and he said, the looks on their faces are just like, what? You know, and I was like, yeah. So he, he loves it when we go. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, turkey hunting's fun. I mean, you know, just to, like I say, get out in the woods and, and have fun. And, and, and if you can, you know, different people are in different parts of, you know, of their lives. But if you can... You know, find a muzzle. You know, there's plenty of reproductions out there. You know, Petter's only still in business, thank goodness. Oh yeah, they make um, some great yeah, turkey guns. Yeah, yes, and so there's and there's a lot of used guns still out there. So if somebody has a desire, 
they can get it done. Oh yeah, definitely. Yep. And then they can then they can be part of the Long Hunter Society. There we go. We can yeah. lump them in with us and and get them in the record book. <laughs> that'd be that'd be all right. <laughs> that'd be all right. Well, Rick, so, I, I don't want to keep you too yeah. long. I really well, appreciate you coming yeah. on, and and this was yeah. this was great. I've I'm yeah. excited. I know to get we this. bounced around a couple of different sections, but <laughs> hey, that's fine you know, by me. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice okay. to keep things moving. You can teach people that basic elementary of that black powder is not really it. It's an explosive, right? But it's how you use it. You know, is is how people get hurt. Yeah, you know, and and, and if you, people get hurt yeah. not understanding it and. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and they I, think more is better. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So if I, yeah, if a hundred, you know, and that's that's human nature. Oh yeah, you know, every yeah, if you, if, if 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 ninety grains is good, a hundred has to be better. <laughs> and and you and I know different than that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you put it on paper, you'll find out. Yeah, it's which not one, which one which one the gun likes. Yeah. yeah, you gotta you gotta really tune that in, especially if you're shooting competition. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, exactly, and, and that's what that's what the guys at Friendship. That's what we all do. Is, yeah, is we, yeah, we're not. Yeah, we're not. Uh, we're we're more interested. You're right. It's competition as far as challenging yourself to to put the bullet in the same hole each time, more than we are to be able to tell somebody. You know, my gun can handle 120 grains. You know, who cares? You know. Yeah, it's. But, yeah, <laughs> I mean, time I mean, and time, time, time and time again for me. Whether it's a, a an original 1860 match rifle from whoever, or a Pedersoli Gibbs, or a or an inline from uh, you know a modern inline, if I'm shooting my five in a 45, those you know in a fast twist and those 500 grain conicals like they did in the 1800s, time it no matter what gun I get, I always seem to come back to somewhere around 85 grains of black powder. Hmm. Yeah, that's just a matter. nice sweet spot. I guess it is with lead lead conicals, yeah. Hmm. And uh, some, you know, 85, yeah, 80 to 90, and that's 2F, you know, if you're shooting yeah. 3F, it'd be a little less. But, yeah, but, uh, hmm. And I think when I you know. when you get over the just the big boom part of it, your wallet starts to thank you a little bit more as you start taking that powder <laughs> that powder amount down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. You're not burning that's it too true. fast. Yeah, but, I, you know, even then those... Yeah, I guess it was Stephen Tucker, the boy that shot the world record a couple of years ago from Tennessee that I took up the friendship. Yeah. He and a friend, and, and, and we got them shooting their inlines and let, let them shoot their inlines. And they were shooting, you know, two triple seven pellets, you know, with 100 grains with a Sabbath and a, and a solid copper or a copper jacketed bullet. I don't remember which one it was, but it was a copper bullet. Mm -hmm. I think it was solid. And, and they, we let them shoot all morning and, and, you know, and especially when they got to 200 yards, you know, they were really struggling to have any sort of a group out there on the target. So we went to lunch and, and I remember coming back and I said, all right, you know, here's, here's, here's my lead 50 caliber bullet I made that you're welcome to try. And here's some, here's a wad and, and here's, you know, 85 grains of, you know, black 2F. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so and, and and when he and we weren't sure you know we knew the impact was going to be different we'd have to adjust his scope and but when we spent the afternoon with him and his friend Will and uh, his first shot with that black powder and that 475 grain conical he turned to me and looked and, and the look on his eyes was like he said that recoil was nothing compared yeah. to what I'd shoot and I said well. I said a lot of people think that the bullet weight itself 
is going to knock the crap out of you. And I said, but that's the guys that are used to shooting 100 grains or 120 that every, everything's maxed with them. Yeah. But I said, but, but if you're really worried about, you know, we can fine-tune your gun to what maybe it likes or get something close. And, and so we did. We spent the afternoon with him and tweaked the loads with him a little bit and, and, and basically taught him how to adjust his scope, which is what he really wanted to do to walk up and go from, you know, 50 yards to a hundred to 200 on paper and then go from the, the 200 meter, 300 meter, 400 meter, 500, you know, the, the silhouettes on the, on the, on the range. Yeah. And, and, and we wrote down the settings and I remember, you know, he, he, you know, he was close and we, we got our apps out and tried to, you know, estimate what the BC of the bullet would be. And we <laughs> knew his laws of velocity because we had our chronograph there. And so we, by the end of the day, I told him, I said, once he hit the 500 meter ran a couple of times and, and the mini Creedmoor, I was like, all right. I said, walk it down the hill. You know your settings, turn your scope, load, and shoot every one of them. He walked straight down that hill and hit the ram, hit the turkey, hit the pig, and hit the chicken. And, you know, the chicken's four inches at 200 meters, you know, and he just was like astounded. He wow. said, I just cannot believe this with black powder. And I said, <laughs> it's no different. It, it's just the propellant, you know. Yeah. It's, it, and, if you, and if you know how it works, you know, there, there's there's other propellants out there. You know, there's many of them. We have a lot of choices in our country of, of, of black powder substitutes, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, and, and giving people choices. And so, but I said, but you just don't, you know, the, you do your part on behind the gun, and you let your gun and your load that you develop do the work in the air. You know, I mean, obviously, the, the wind is, is would be the most critical thing that we cannot adjust, and that takes the hardest thing to understand <laughs> yeah. is how much a wind blows a bullet. But the trajectory part, you know, there's too much, you know, well, you know, gravity, you know, gravity's gravity, you know, so when a bullet comes out, it's going to start, you know, kind of dropping. So you're basically just turning the, the elevation of the scope or, or your rear sight, like on my 18, you know, Alexander Henry or Rigby of 1850s and 60s had the vernier sights like sharks, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it, you just turning your sights and, and letting it adjust for the gravity of the bullet drop. And, uh, but it would, that, that's good to see you know, from my perspective to kind of teach somebody that and learn them and, and let them be excited about shooting a muzzleloader. Yeah. I think yeah. At, at the end of the day, that's kind of what it's all about is, is yeah. sharing that and, and passing it along. Yeah. I saw something the other day from Arizona, uh, where somebody, they were thinking of, they were proposing the idea of not allowing trail cameras to be used after like July 31st. Oh, really? And I thought, I've never owned a trail camera, never have used a trail camera. And I thought, I don't mind that a bit. Right. But boy, you know, there'd be some people crying because, you know, the guy that's the, you know, the diehard deer hunter can't wait to share pictures and brag about, you know, the 10 point he got a trail camera picture on that, yeah. he, you know, his hit list, but you know, all, yeah. those, <laughs> all those adjectives they're using these days to, identify you know this deer and this deer and that guy in pattern and everything else and i, I kind of think that goes away from fair chase to some extent yeah yeah we've always you know? used some trail cameras just to keep an eye on things you know we had well, that, yeah, some, but, some beavers yeah. move in you know we got yeah, some well, pictures of them <laughs> probably not anything wrong with that yeah as long as you're not turning around like like i think arizona is is you know people are using them and they've got that they and now you got trail and i called this out 20 years ago when trail cameras came out and cell phones were out. I told my kids this. I said, somebody needs to create a cell or a trail camera that'll send a picture of your cell phone when oh, it sees yeah. a deer. Yeah. And that's out there. And to me, that is, I mean, they've got, they know where these deer are when they're, so how hard is it to hunt them? I mean, yeah, you've got to go out there and, and hunt, but 
to me, I, I find the excitement of not knowing what's out there and then whatever, you know, God or mother nature provides is just icing on the cake. If it's a good one. Yeah. You know, in the, in the, in the land that you're allowed to hunt on. And it's not, yeah. uh, it's not like 20 years ago where camera technology was, you know, expensive and hard to come by. I mean, now you can go out and buy, you know, a whole fleet of trail cameras that'll send back to your yes. phone. You know, you could get a daily yeah. schedule for that deer and know where yeah. it's going to be when. And yeah, that kind of starts so to pollute it a little so, bit. So if, I guess if you had, I mean, if Arizona did, if the guys had trail cameras, they probably could still use them and get away with it. But it's certainly going to curtail the amount of social media that they put out there of what their deer look like. Yeah, they're, they're not going to want to put a record yeah. out of, of cheating. Because yeah. <laughs> well, if they put it out there in September, hey, it's just knocked off all its velvet. You know, look at this monster, and then they shoot it in archery three weeks later. Yeah, then they could say, well, wait a minute, you're, are you you got trail cameras of this thing? You're using this thing to hunt with, you know, and and they they they'd be rightfully so with. We'd like to thank you for listening. We've tried to up the amount of interviews that we're doing um, during COVID-19. We're not able to travel to any events or interview anybody in person. So I've been working hard on arranging a lot more of these phone calls to keep things going. Uh, if you are enjoying it, please consider rating the podcast on iTunes. That really helps us out and lets us know that people are out there listening. Down in the show notes, we'll also have a link to our NMLRA YouTube channel. We just reached 500 subscribers this past month, which is really exciting for us. So be sure to check that out if you want to see more muzzleloading living history and traditional craft content, but in video form. We've just launched our Craftsman Corner series where we're bringing in traditional craftsmen from all over the country to write different tutorials on making small accoutrement items and during COVID-19, I'll be making each of the items that are featured in the tutorials as kind of a video walkthrough. But once we're allowed to travel around and visit with people again, we're going to be getting into craftspeople's shops and showing you how they make the different items that we're talking about. So be sure to check out that series on the NMLRA YouTube.